Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And much like the start of last show, I just want to get into a very, very hot topic issue here at the Blackman household and just fans in general of the Logan Blackman Show, one would assume. We we have been covering this situation for feels like weeks now. The whole Trubisky-Chicago Bears relationship, whether they're going to move on from Trubisky or who they're going to get, if they're getting Russell Wilson or not. Obviously, we know they got Andy Dalton. We'll talk about Andy Dalton in a tiny bit. But the first thing I want to talk about regarding the Bears quarterback situation is that Mr. Trubisky has signed, yes, he is officially signed at a new team, and that is your Buffalo Bills. Yes. Good job, Brandon Bean. I'm actually, and I, there's going to be a lot of jokes about this as Bears fans message me all over the place. And it's, a, it's funny, like, ah, oh, you got Trubisky. Ah, oh, yes, Josh Allen's going to have some real competition now. But all jokes aside, it's a very easy thing to joke about because it's Trubisky, a very meme-worthy quarterback, the reigning MVP. That's going to provide competition for the guy who just finished second in the MVP race. So it'll be interesting. No, he's not providing competition for Josh. He'll back up Josh. I actually like this a lot. Unironically, unsarcastically like this move. Because when Josh Allen got hurt against the Los Angeles Chargers, it was out for a play this past season, every Bills fan in America's heart dropped as Josh Allen was walking out the field. And it looked like he just he almost, you can go watch the clip, it's of Joey Bosa hitting him. He almost snapped his ankle or snapped his leg. It was That was the season pretty much. The first play Matt Barkley comes in, he gets sacked, and then Josh Allen runs back on the field. Now, Matt Barkley was very good in his first game with the Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets on my birthday two years ago when Josh Allen was hurt then. But if we're talking about replacing Josh Allen for a long period of time, I am worried. I was worried about that. Josh Allen gets hurt, Matt Barkley goes in. I love Matt Barkley, but I love Barkley to the point of I rather just like him standing on the sideline and being that he is the backup without having to worry about him ever actually going to playing meaningful games in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills. I think he's a great person. He's been great for Josh Allen. He's really embraced Bills Mafia. So I and a lot of other Bills fans out there love themselves some Matt Barkley. But if we're being honest, there was a, there was a steep drop off from Josh Allen to Matt Barkley. And this Trubisky one, though there is still a pretty wide gap between Josh Allen and Trubisky, Trubisky is better than Matt Barkley. That might sound insane to think about, but Trubisky is actually better than some quarterbacks and gets a little bit more hate, as we talked about last time, than he probably deserves. He doesn't deserve as much hate. I'm not saying he's a world amazing quarterback. But people trying to rewrite history, saying, oh, we never thought that he would be taken as the first quarterback in the draft, when everybody of the quote-unquote experts was saying Trubisky is the best quarterback in this draft class. But we're trying to rewrite history now. And then we have the whole, oh, he's just he just sucks. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL. When he really wasn't, he's just average. And for a team that are a quarter, as quarterback-deprived as the Chicago Bears expectations start to raise a little bit. As the years go on, you get more and more impatient with the quarterback situation for your team. You saw that in Buffalo for a while after Jim Kelly. The Bears have been feeling it ever since Sid Luckman. The Lions have had it, and now, I mean, they got Jared Goff since Matthew Stafford's been traded to L.A., which is sad their best quarterback, arguably in franchise history, other than Bobby Lane, has just left, and now they're replacing with Jared Goff. The Browns have Baker Mayfield now, who's probably the best quarterback since... I would say Otto Graham, but Bernie Kosar was probably the best one since Otto Graham. But and then in between, he's right in between Baker and Otto Graham, because Otto Graham's obviously the greatest Browns quarterback of all time, as he's one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. But if we're talking about the last time they had a real quarterback, it was Bernie Kosar. But that was even the original Browns. We could probably just throw those with the Baltimore Ravens players, because <laughs> those are the Browns, not the Browns that we see now. Oh, man. I feel that. I feel every year you feel like you're going to get your guy, and that's just a giant disappointment, especially when your GM keeps telling you, we're going to try hard to get a quarterback, and then you don't wind up getting a good quarterback. 
So you got Andy Dalton, who was promised by Ryan Pace and co. that he would be the starting quarterback, which is why he signed in Chicago, which is not a bad move. I like Andy Dalton. I think he's a capable bridge quarterback. But you never really like going into a season with, you know, two bridge quarterbacks, let alone one. Going into the season with one bridge quarterback doesn't really excite the fans. But at least you know there's going to be someone there. But now with two bridge quarterbacks, I don't know what their future holds. But back to the Trubisky thing. He signed on a one-year deal to back up Josh Allen. And Brandon Bean had the perfect quote about Mitchell Trubisky. We, are, we were a game away from the Super Bowl. Injuries happened. This guy has 50 starts and has won 29 games. If Josh was out for a few weeks, we want to make sure we've got the best player we can. And I think for all the players that were going to be backup quarterbacks this offseason... Trubisky was probably the best one available, other than Jacoby Brissett, who signed down in Miami. So there's, this is a nice move. It's not a very flashy move, getting a backup quarterback, but I love it. And I'm not even saying that sarcastically. I actually love it. And when I first saw it, I was laughing, because I was like, oh my god, the Bills just got Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, this is a good move for the Buffalo Bills, thinking as if Josh Allen were to get hurt. Because things happen all the time. And Matt Barkley, though everybody in Buffalo and Bills fans around the nation loved him, nobody wanted him to replace Josh Allen. I feel more comfortable now with Mitchell Trubisky as Josh Allen's backup than I did with Matt Barkley. Even though Matt Barkley was very good for Josh's maturation and getting into becoming the player he is right now. So like Brandon Bean also said this, this is a reset for him. We don't expect him to be here long term. This is basically a move to regain, get Trubisky to regain his confidence again. Because Matt Nagy killed that the moment he walked to the door. And then Ryan Pace just said, I know I traded up to get you. My job, because I am the GM for the Chicago Bears, is not on the line here because we're the Chicago Bears. We don't care what the GM does. We'll move you on, even though we traded up to get you, and I told everybody we were drafting Jamal Adams or Patrick Mahomes. We drafted you instead. But for some reason, my job's not on the line anymore. But now it will be, one would assume. <laughs> one would assume. We don't really know. And this is what we talked about all last week. The Bears are going to hype people up to get their quarterback. Oh, we're going to get Russell Wilson. And then you end up with someone like Andy Dalton, like Marcus Mariota like Sam Darnold. You don't get excited for those guys. You get excited for Russell Wilson's and Deshaun Watson's of the world, not Andy Dalton, who is, a again, a solid quarterback. But he's never won a playoff game. In the years he was in Cincinnati, didn't win a lot of games. I mean, he'd go to the playoffs every once in a while, but he didn't win any playoff games. Ever since Marvin Lewis, this just goes back to Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati, Marvin Lewis never won a playoff game in Cincinnati. In 17 years... The Bengals never won a playoff game. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game since, I think, 89 or 90. This is the last time the Cincinnati Bengals won a playoff game. So you better get some damn protection for Joe Burrow. Otherwise, it's going to be even longer before the next playoff win. Man. <laughs> Andy Dalton in Chicago, Mitchell Trubisky in Buffalo. What a weird, weird start to 2021. And there's been some other big-time moves going around this offseason as well. Patrick Peterson, last night, signed for the Minnesota Vikings on a one-year $10 million deal. The same amount of money that Andy Dalton was signed in Chicago for. One-year 10 mil. I hold Patrick Peterson, though, to a little higher standard than Andy Dalton. And though Patrick Peterson might not be the same Patrick Peterson that was the best corner in the NFL that no one was talking about, for all those years he was down in Arizona while they were just swimming around in either mediocrity or below averageness, him and Larry were balling out. Patrick Peterson, when he was on in Arizona, was the best corner in the NFL. But no one talked about him because the Cardinals, again, were not very good. And no one threw to him. He was, he was so dominant in Arizona. And I love this move for the Minnesota Vikings because Cam Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, did not have that veteran presence there to ease them in the NFL. They had Mike Hughes, okay? Mike Hughes is not necessarily the greatest mentor for, even though he's a former first-round draft pick, 
He has never played like a first-round draft pick since coming to the Minnesota Vikings. Patrick Peterson, whether he's the number one corner or if he's just there, no, he will be. I'm not, I shouldn't say that. I know Patrick Peterson's going to be the number one guy. I think Cam Dantzler showed last year that he has a lot of ability in there, played well at stretches last year. Jeff Gladney needs Patrick Peterson a lot. Jeff Gladney was the first-round draft pick from TCU, if you didn't remember. But Patrick Peterson, man, that is a big-time move for the Minnesota Vikings. Not big-time, but it's a very good move for the Vikings. Shoring up the defense that Mike Zimmer, after the loss to the Saints, literally said, this is the worst defense I have ever coached in my life. (laughs) After uh, Alvin Kamara, what, rushed for, had six or seven total touchdowns in that game? I think I would be saying the exact same thing if I was stuck in that similar of a situation. (laughs) craziness and then speaking of Arizona oh man this this thing shocked me to say the least I was absolutely I I didn't expect this I did not expect it AJ Green you know the wide former wide receiver the Cincinnati Bengals signed with the Arizona Cardinals they're building a freaking fortress around Kyler Murray They have Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk. Good Lord. They just traded for uh, Hudson from the Raiders, right? They're making sure Kyler Murray balls out. They're They're running four wide receiver sets all the time. They are literally bringing Texas Tech's offense to the NFL. Hopefully, they don't bring their defense because that, that would not work out for the Arizona Cardinals. That's why you go out and get a guy like J.J. Watt. But A.J., that surprised me. I'm not surprised that he didn't go back to Cincinnati, but I was kind of shocked he went to the Arizona Cardinals. They're one of those teams where we want to come play here. We love Kyler Murray, and a lot of people love Kyler. I love Kyler Murray. But this this was kind of surprising. And one thing I learned playing quarterback in college, every receiver is open at all times. No matter what you see, the wide receiver is always open. So I don't know how many times Kyler Murray is going to hear I was open from two future Hall of Famers, and I think if A.J. Green stayed healthy, it would be another Hall of Famer. So three possible for Hall of Famers. And he's going to hear, I was open. Dude, I was open. Dude, I was open. There's going to be a good Lord. They are not running the ball at all. They are bringing back the run-and-shoot offense from the Houston Oilers from the 90s. Warren Moon throwing all these guys all the time. All gas, no breaks, essentially, is what the Houston Oilers offense was in the 90s. Which hurt them in playoff games because when they were winning big against, say, the Buffalo Bills when they had Frank Reich and the biggest comeback in playoff history, they never ran. So that caused, in the incomplete passes, clock would stop, Bills had had chances to come back in the game and then ultimately did. But that's the offense I think Cliff Kingsbury's wanting to run. Or not think. I know that's the offense he's wanting to run now, especially since getting A.J. freaking Green. I think A.J. Green, my dad and I were talking about this the other day because of him signing with the Arizona Cardinals. Him and Julio Jones were drafted in the same year. He was A.J. Green was drafted fourth, eight, or Julio was drafted sixth, seventh, eighth, somewhere around there by the Falcons, obviously. It's unfair for A.J. Green because of all the injuries he's had because the gap in talent between those two is not a crater or not a cavernous hole or anything. A.J. Green can ball, but the problem is he just can't stay healthy, which, like we always say on the show, the best ability is, say it with me, audience, availability. Yes. And A.J. Green hasn't been available, but when he is available... He's balled out, and he's a very mild-mannered wide receiver. He's a very awesome receiver to watch. The one time he, I've seen him actually you know, talk was when he beat the crap out of Jalen Ramsey, <laughs> one of the best clips in NFL history. I would rival that. The Andre Johnson versus Cortland Finnegan one's great, but he choke-slammed Jalen Ramsey. Go and watch the A.J. Green versus Jalen Ramsey clip if you've never watched before because it is miraculous he flipped him on his back grabbed him behind and just it's just awesome I'm not going to try and describe it because it's just sweet but the Cardinals goodness gracious I saw something on Instagram or Twitter that said this team's the new Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
Like you remember last year when the Buccaneers were adding all of these pieces, they had Gronk was coming out of retirement. A.B. was rumored to come there at the time. LaShawn McCoy signed there. Leonard Fournette came over. That's kind of what the situation, and then Tom Brady, obviously. And this is the situation we're kind of getting into with Arizona with J.J. Watt signing there and now A.J. Green. So we're going to run four wide receiver sets all the time. I don't know who their running back's going to be because Kenny and Drake just signed with the Raiders today. Who do they have at the end? Chase Edmonds? Is Chase Edmonds going to be the starter for the Arizona Cardinals? Or do they draft one? They have the 16th pick. I have seen some drafts that say the Cardinals take a Travis Etienne or a Najee Harris. Travis Etienne, I think, would fit the Arizona, this offense the Cardinals are wanting to run a lot more than, Eti- or, uh, than Najee Harris. Because, again, like we've talked about when doing mock drafts, with comparing these two running backs... Etienne is more of the let's split him out type running back. Najee Harris is a great pass catcher out of the backfield. That's not, I don't want to discredit Najee Harris's pass catching abilities at all or athleticism as you've seen him jump over defenders consistently in Al- at Alabama. He's a bigger running back as well. Got signs of Derrick Henry just going to Alabama, being the bigger running back, even wearing 22. So it was, I mean, well, Derrick Henry wearing it now. He wore number two at Alabama, but you you get what I'm saying. But Etienne could split out wide. So there's times they could probably run, or not probably, if they get a guy like Etienne, run five wide receiver sets, go similar to what the Los Angeles Rams, or the Los Angeles, I'm not, I've, I've gotten used to saying that now. The St. Louis Rams did in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s with the greatest show on turf. Is that what the Cardinals are trying to do? Run and shoot plus the greatest show on turf, combining in Arizona, because one thing the Houston Oilers did not have in the run-and-shoot offense was a running back. One thing the Rams had, which made their offense elite, was Marshall Falk. The Bills, when the 90s, when they were on the K-Gun, they had James Lofton, Andre Reid, Jim Kelly, and Thurman Thomas. So it was the running back opened up plays, and Thurman Thomas and Marshall Falk both won MVPs while they were part of these amazing offenses. So if the Cardinals get a guy like Etienne or get a guy in the later rounds, then, yeah, they'd be similar to those styles of offense. If they don't, I just think they'd be another offense like the run-and-shoot offense in Houston. But you never know how that'll work out. Houston back then had an all-right defense. I'll be interested to see what the Cardinals do with that 16th pick because, remember, they've also got a hole at cornerback because everybody expected Patrick Peterson to leave, but we didn't really know where he was going to go. So we're kind of surprised on that he went to Minnesota. Not surprised he left the desert. So they're either going to have to go after a corner, or if they want to look at a running back, go ahead and do that. But we're starting to get into the realm of draft running backs either late first round or second round. That's where you get your starting running backs. So look at all the running backs that were drafted last year. Clyde Edwards-Lair was the first one drafted, pick 32. Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, drafted in the second round. Zach Moss. Third round, A.J. Dillon, I think, was a third rounder as well. Alvin Kamara was a third rounder. Like all, I know Alvin Kamara wasn't drafted last year, but people are starting to draft these later running backs, and it's panning out. Dalvin Cook, we did this a couple shows ago, talking about all the running backs getting drafted in the later rounds. The devaluation, I guess, of running backs, right, wrong, or otherwise, but it is happening around the NFL, and... This is going to be a topic all the way up until draft point, draft day on which running back is better between Travis Etienne and Najee Harris. They do a lot of things. Najee Harris is a lot bigger than Etienne. I think he's about four inches taller than Travis Etienne, who stands about 5'10". Harris about 6'2". Weighs more. He's just a bigger running back. But they could do similar things. I just think, if we're comparing them directly, Etienne is the more versatile of the two. So uh, this got popped up on Instagram. The best running back in the draft, question mark, Travis Etienne or Najee Harris. I think they're neck and neck, to be 100% honest. I would not be surprised if one was drafted over the other. I would not be surprised that Etienne was drafted over Harris. I would not be surprised if Harris was drafted over Etienne. Because with Najee Harris, you have the Alabama links, the size compared to Derrick Henry, the pass-catching ability out of the backfield. Very desirable traits there. It was also being a very big running back, the athleticism is off the charts. So that's very desirable. Travis Etienne, again, like we said, 
provides versatility to an offense, can split out wide, can run in between the tackles, improved as a pass catcher each year at Clemson, which is why he kept coming back, also trying to win a national championship. Like These are two really good running backs. But again, with the way the NFL is looking at running backs, these two might not get drafted in the first round, which is kind of crazy to think about with how talented these two are. And then Javante Williams is no slouch either, the running back from North Carolina. Michael Carter there as well. Those two shouldn't get slept on as well. I think these two will be the only two that get drafted in the first round if two are drafted in the first round. If any running backs draft in the first round at all, these two will be the guys that get drafted. I think it's kind of obvious. I think Etienne, if we're going off last year, Najee Harris had a lot better season than Travis Etienne, but I don't know. I love both of them. I personally, now if I'm looking at this from a not like a scout perspective, I guess, air quotes on scout, I think they're neck and neck. But I personally like Travis Etienne. I've loved Travis Etienne for a few years now watching him at Clemson. He's an awesome running back. I love myself some Travis Etienne, but I love Najee Harris as well. I remember watching him come out of high school. That was like one of the most talked about high school prospects that I can remember. His highlights were all over social media coming out of high school. He had like back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons coming out of, where was he from, Texas? No, he's from he's from Cali. He's from Cali. Number one recruit on ESPN's thing. Like, when you go, and I, this has always amazed me a little bit. I remember when Tua committed to Alabama, Najee Harris committed to Alabama, these guys sat behind great players, or players that were coming off amazing seasons. For Tua's case, he had Jalen Hurts, who was just the reigning SEC player of the year, offensive player of the year, and Alabama's always run a platoon system at running back. So it was kind of like, well, this is kind of interesting. They had Bo Scarborough there at the time, I think. Damien Harris, I believe, was there. Josh Jacobs. Like, this is... I always find it interesting when players go to these schools and then they wait their time. They don't go there expecting a lot. They just go, okay, I'm going to learn from the best. I'm going to play with the best. And then when it's my time, I'm going to ball TF out. You get what I'm saying? I like that attitude. And you see that all the time at Alabama. Bryce Young did that this year. Sat behind Mac Jones. Mac Jones, third string quarterback two years ago. And then now he's going to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. And beat out a five-star. Multiple five, or not multiple. I guess he was behind two other five-stars. And I don't, well, I don't know if Jalen was a five-star. He might have been a four-star. But I know Bryce Young was a five-star. Alabama, even though they lost Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson, Deontay Brown. Like, they, they're going to retool. It's Alabama. It's not some lowly school that had a one-season wonder, like a UCF or something. No, this is Alabama. They're going to retool. They always, even on defense, Patrick Sertan, Dylan Moses, Christian Barmore. Like, Alabama's, they're fine. Alabama's going to have no problems retooling, and they'll probably be, be around the national championship. And Bryce Young... I'm not, again, I think I've said this before. I don't want to say he's going to win the Heisman, or I don't even think, I don't want to say he is going to be in the conversation. Actually, but that is what I'm going to say. (laughs) I am going to say Bryce Young is going to be awesome this year. Just make sure you watch some Alabama football. If if you're tired of watching Alabama football because their quarterbacks are boring, you look at all the quarterbacks Nick Saban's had. John Parker Wilson was the first one, Greg McElroy, A.J. McCarron, Jacob Coker, Blake Sims, Tua, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones. Who was who was before? Who was before? Uh, Blake Barnett for that one game against USC before <laughs> Jalen Hurts came in. USC was smacking them, and then they came back, and I think they won the game with Jalen Hurts. And then they lost the Natty to Clemson, obviously. And Tua and Jalen Hurts, to their own respect, are. Very exciting players, but not necessarily at Alabama. Jalen Hurts got more exciting when he went to Oklahoma. But Bryce Young, good Lord, this is has the potential. Again, I'm not saying he is, because I've, I, we don't know. Anything can happen. But he has the potential to be the best quarterback Nick Saban's ever had at Alabama. His ceiling is extremely high. He's literally compared to Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. I'm excited to see what Alabama does this year. All these young quarterbacks are going to be awesome to watch. We're going to have a great draft next year. Bryce Young's not going to be involved in the draft next year because he's only a true sophomore. But 
this draft next year, I know we've loved the quarterback draft class this year with five quarterbacks going in the first round this year, possibly all five of them going within the top 10. Possibly. We don't know if that's 100% going to happen. And then there's other good quarterbacks as well that will get drafted day two or day three, like Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, those types of quarterbacks, Ian Book, Sam Ellinger, Davis Mills. And then next year, you're going to have another great round of quarterbacks. So if, it, if your team needs a quarterback or you think your team needs a quarterback, don't be upset. Just wait till next year. There's great quarterbacks coming up. You've got Sam Howell coming up. The number He's going to be, I would be shocked if this isn't the case, Sam Howell will be the number one overall pick in the draft next year. Quarterback from North Carolina. He's been pretty much praised as the number one quarterback in that draft since he was a freshman, but not to the level of Sam Ellinger because North Carolina's freshman year were what, 7-6, and six? and then the next year, they're pretty good. Disappointing at times, but good season overall. So he'll be the first one to go, and then you've got Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma will also be in there, Keaton Slovis, the quarterback from USC, will also be linked up in there, Derek King could sneak in the first round with the direction the NFL is going in quarterbacks, with like Kyler Murray's going in the first round, Derek King could easily saw into that realm. It's going to be a fun draft. It's going to be a very, 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 very fun draft next year. Brock Purdy from Iowa State will even be mentioned in there. So, yeah, if your team does not get a quarterback, do not fear. There's going to be good quarterbacks next year. Oh, that's a good rhyme. Look at that. We're rhyming here on the Logan Blackman Show. Great stuff here on the Logan Blackman Show. You don't get this on normal shows because Lord knows the Logan Blackman Show is not <laughs> a normal show. It's a fun show, though. We're having fun here today. I'm very excited. And speaking of the quarterbacks getting drafted, this was a report I saw the other day, and it was regarding the top four quarterbacks in this draft. I think most people out there share the brain of that it's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields are the top four quarterbacks in this draft. You'll find the odd one like June Jones, Chris Sims, among some others that say Mac Jones is in there as well. But I'm pretty sure we all know who's going to be the first four quarterbacks taken in this draft class. I think we all know this. Now, I, I, we could be surprised by the time draft day comes around. But I think we're all pretty, we pretty much know which quarterbacks are going, not necessarily where they're going, but the order they're going. So this was a report from Adam Schefter. It said, there will be four quarterbacks gone in the first six or seven picks in this draft, maybe earlier. Take that to the bank. That's a quote from Adam Schefter, which is exciting. Everybody loves trades and getting quarterbacks that early. You saw in the 2018 draft class, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rose, all going in the top 10. That's exciting stuff. And those guys went 1, 3, 7, and 10. We might get guys going 1, 2, 3, and 4. There is a chance... We have a one, two, three, four quarterback draft class, which might be the first one ever. We've had a couple one, two, three draft classes, like Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, Akili Smith were all drafted one, two, three by the Browns, Eagles, and Bengals. Then you had Dan Pasternak, or Dan Dan Pasternak, Dan Pastorini. Then you had, or not in this order, Dan Pastorini, Archie Manning, and Jim Plunkett were one, two, three in one draft as well. So there, you see that every once in a while, but it hasn't happened since the Tim Couch draft, which was the Browns' first year in existence, this new Browns team, their first year in existence. We might get that this year, especially with people talking about the Panthers are going to be aggressive trying to get into the top three if they do not get Deshaun Watson. So we might see, very, we very well may see a top four draft, draft <laughs> top four quarterbacks go in the first four picks, which is unheard of. I need to check records and stuff like that to see how often that's happened because it hasn't happened very often. I think you all are aware that does that doesn't happen. One, two, three, four quarterbacks. And then if you look at what teams need, so the order, the top 10 in the draft, as we stand right now, is Jaguars, Jets, Dolphins, Falcons, Bengals, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Broncos, and Cowboys. So there's the top 10. So let's say, hypothetically, the Panthers trade up to three. Okay? And they want Trey Lance. So then you go, 
we go Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and then depending on what the Falcons do, just for the sake of this, we're going to say they draft Justin Fields. Justin Fields goes fourth. And then you have a break with the Bengals from the positions going in order with Penny, Panay Sewell. So there you got number five. And then the Eagles, Lions, Dolphins are either Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddell, or J, uh, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, or all the wide receivers. Devontae Smith in there as well. So there might be three in a row there. And then the last two picks in the top ten, in regard, if there's a trade that happens between the Cowboys and Broncos trading back with someone like San Francisco, New England, Washington, Chicago, New Orleans maybe. I don't think that one will happen. They're, they don't have a lot of draft picks, nor capital to do that. <laughs> so... And they just signed Jason Hill to a massive contract. Then you've got back-to-back corners going. So there's a chance you go four quarterbacks tackle, three wide receivers, two corners. That's boring. We don't want that. We want excitement and uh, amazing stuff happening in the NFL draft. We don't want positions going order and order and order. Now, I think that Kyle Pitts will be drafted in the top 10. One of the receivers will fall out of the top 10. Because it's a similar situation to the running backs right now, where in the pre-draft stuff, analysts and draft quote-unquote experts overvalue wide receivers in regards to draft stock. Because if you look at last year, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, CeeDee Lamb went 17th last year. Jerry Judy fell all the way to 15th. Not a lot of people were expecting CeeDee Lamb to be there at 17. Now, I had Jerry Judy going to the Broncos, but that's beside the point. We're not here to talk about my genius here. But we kind of shoot them a little bit higher than what they probably will go, and then we get shocked at draft day, like, oh, man, receiver fell that far. And then a few years ago, we had Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore draft. There was talks about Calvin Ridley going to the top 10. He went, like, 27th or something to the Falcons. Like, it's always once the draft starts, then we start, you know, things actually go, oh my god, I can't believe they fell this far. When in reality, we shouldn't really be surprised when a receiver or a running back drops farther than what Mel Kuyper or Daniel Jeremiah said. Even though I respect Daniel Jeremiah's uh, opinions and what he has to bring forth for the NFL draft. I love his stuff that he puts out there. But I know you look at some mock drafts that have... Like Devontae Smith falling pretty far. Jalen Waddle falling out of the top 10. Now, I don't think Jamar Chase will fall out of the top 10. I think that's very much a lock for him to stay in the top 10. But Waddle and Smith, there's a chance they fall out of the top 10. I'd say the chances for Devontae Smith especially is about 65 to 70% chance he falls out of the top 10, whether or not the Dolphins want to draft him or not. I think Jalen Waddle, with his speed and versatility, will get himself drafted higher than a Devontae Smith. That's just what my feeling is right now as I sit here on March 18th. Okay? That could change as we get closer to the NFL draft. April 25th, I could go, well, crap. I think that this is going to happen now. Because as we get closer to the draft, more and more information starts to leak out, and then you start to change your opinions a little bit. But, hey, do not be surprised... I'm telling you now, if you are expecting all three wide receivers to go in the top 10, I'd lower your expectations a little bit. Jeez, I'm sorry. I apologize for the burping a little bit. Don't be surprised they just don't. They fall in the top 10. And there's a team there that you know, might not have needed a wide receiver like as their top need, but the value is too good for them to fall any further. You saw it with the Falcons and Calvin Ridley. You saw that with the Cowboys and CeeDee Lamb, who didn't necessarily need a wide receiver, but they took one. They had, what, um, oh, crap. Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. I couldn't remember Michael Gallup's name for some reason. And then they draft CeeDee Lamb. There wasn't, like, a pressing need for the Dallas Cowboys, but they drafted one because the value was too good. The Falcons didn't need a Calvin Ridley, but no one no one expected him to fall as far as he did. So that was like... Geez, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and now Calvin Ridley? Shit, yeah, we'll take that. And it's worked very, very well for them. Calvin Ridley has balled TF out again. Love watching Calvin Ridley. And I love all these wide receivers. This is an extremely deep wide receiver class. And that's another reason 
why you could see some wide receivers drop because people are like, well, I can get a wide receiver in later rounds that are equal first round talent because this is so, if a normal class, they'd be first round wide receivers. But because this is such a deep class, we might wait to the later rounds. Players like Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown from USC, Rondell Moore will probably be day two picks. But that value is ridiculous. Like last year, you saw T. Higgins and Michael Pittman fall to the second round, who in a normal draft would go easily in the first round. D.K. Metcalf, uh, who's the other receiver for the Titans? Oh my God. A.J. Brown, good Lord. Second round picks. Keenan Allen was a third round pick. Who else? Devontae Adams was a third round pick. So these Adam Thielen was undrafted. Stephon Diggs was a fifth round pick. So you look at all these receivers, it just keeps coming off the brain. Jarvis Landry was a second-round pick. Julian Edelman was a seventh-round pick as a quarterback, or sixth round, one of those two. Drafted a quarterback from Kent State. But if you're expecting a, oh, man, all these these wide receivers won't fall past the top seven. Now, that could happen. That could happen. But if it doesn't, don't go, I cannot believe that happened. There's a chance it could. But I think based off history, especially if we look at last year's draft where not all these receivers fell at went as high as what we might have expected, especially CeeDee Lamb in that case at 17. I don't know. It's just going to be fun. The draft is always exciting. And then you got guys like Kyle Pitts that will break up that round of wide receivers because we didn't have a tight end like that last year, unless I'm completely forgetting somebody. I don't think we had a tight end like that last year. If I forgot someone, you're just screaming at your, whatever you're listening on, your radio, your phone, YouTube, I don't know, not YouTube, computer, I don't know. I'm sorry, but I can't remember a tight end last year. (laughs) If there was, I apologize to tight end. But Kyle Pitts, he's got wide receiver number one material. So here's another thing. Don't be surprised if Kyle Pitts is taken before these wide receivers. Do not be surprised by that either. Just a couple things not to be overly surprised about when it comes to the NFL draft this year. Because we could be expecting a very weird draft. This whole offseason is a very weird offseason. Like, who the hell thought A.J. Green was going to go to the Cardinals? Who thought Trubisky would come to the Buffalo Bills? Andy Dalton going to the Bears? I mean, that was more their level (laughs) than Russell Wilson based on track records and history of Ryan Pace and (laughs) the decisions they had made at quarterback. Oh, man. But all in all, (laughs) I'm excited for Trubisky. I think it's a great backup addition for the Buffalo Bills. I think that's an upgrade at the backup position. And if Josh Allen, God forbid, gets hurt, they have an experienced quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky, who has, again, won 29 games in the NFL, has made the playoffs twice in his four years in the the league. Now, you could say, and I would say you have a valued argument in this, that... They got him to the the defense got him to the playoffs. It was more in spite of Trubisky in the offense that the Bears made the playoffs two of those four years he was in the league. But that's regardless. That doesn't matter here because Trubisky's now a Buffalo Bill. And unless something horrific happens to the Buffalo Bills, they're making the playoffs again. Knock on wood. Hopefully. Anything can happen though. This is I'm gonna pull the stupid NASCAR promo this could be the best season ever that's what we're expecting with the nfl we got a 17th game we're gonna have a ridiculous draft we have a ridiculous offseason of players getting massacred spread all over the world in the nfl patriots getting two tight ends john U. smith and hunter henry like this is exciting stuff this offseason andy dalton's a bear <laughs> i just gotta keep saying that because it's just really funny to say we don't know what deshaun watson's gonna be but all i know is I'm excited. I'm I'm very, very excited for this upcoming season. It's going to be fun. And then I made a post about this. This is we're going to cut off the football stuff and go to another football, which I call soccer, and a lot of cool people out there call it soccer. But I made a blog post about the United States men's national team, if you want to go check that out. It was another 2022 World Cup prediction blog where Jonas Musa, the highly touted youngster for Valencia, has officially announced his commitment to the United States men's national team. And we talked about this at the end of the show last time, but I wanted to talk about it again and give it a little bit more of a fuller analysis, I guess, 
this is exciting. That's all you need to know about this. Jonas Musa, this this is awesome. This the realm of the United States being pushed over by all these other nations in the world of soccer is starting to end. Like a few years ago, if you had the ability, if you saw that Serginho Dest, Jonas Musa were looking for a national team and their other options were England and the Netherlands and they were like, I mean, I hope you choose the United States. I don't really think they will choose the United States because, you know, we just missed the World Cup. There, I mean, Netherlands did too, but the Netherlands got Van Dyke, Delict. They got some exciting stuff with the Netherlands. The U.S. didn't really have that at that time. And Dest and Musa choose the United States. That's exciting stuff. And if we're looking at the squad, so obviously I made a blog post a few weeks ago, or not even a few weeks ago, a few months ago, back in January, about the exact same thing essentially, but I didn't include Jonas Musa in the squad because I didn't know what his situation was in regards to the U.S. men's national team. I didn't know what he was going to do. My, I've said this before. I thought he would go to England. England lost Jamal Musiala to Germany, so I was like, well, there's a gap filled by Jonas Musa. That's, he's represented England at all underage levels. He's represented the United States once in a friendly, or twice in a friendly, but it doesn't matter. England's got a hole. England's the more exci- the better team. He's going to choose England. But the potential of the United States right now is ridiculous. And I'm thrilled. I, I am 100% thrilled. And they released a very exciting squad to play in a couple friendlies against Jamaica and Northern Ireland. It's an awesome squad. Zach Steffen's back. Pulisic is back. Brendan Aronson is in the team. Daryl DK, who has scored two goals for Barnsley yesterday, right after I made the post, he scored two goals for Barnsley, and I included Daryl DK in this new updated squad. I threw out Josie Altador and put Daryl DK in. Daryl DK is awesome. I love myself some Daryl DK, and I hope he continues on this trajectory of where he's going now because he's balling out. If the reports are true that teams are lining up $10 million bids in the top six of the Premier League for Daryl DK, that is beautiful to hear. Akin Fenwa, for those of you who don't know, go watch some old KSI videos if you've never heard of Akin Fenwa because he's a championship player, highest strength rating in FIFA. He talked to Daryl DK about how strong he was. Daryl DK is a freaking tank. And he's just like Josie Altador, but younger, healthier, actually in form, which is something Josie never seems to be at club level. And Burhalter has even stated that he thinks Josie Altador is the most talented striker on the United States. Here's a quote he had from October 2020. He said, I would say it's just looking at the striker position in general, I think you have to say Josie Altador, who is probably still the most talented that we have in the position, but he's got fitness issues. Let's call it what it is. He's not fit to play 90 minutes. He's not fit to play at the level we need him to be. But he's still an amazing, amazingly talented player, so our goal is to keep working with him. We're uh, working with the club to get him where he needs to be, and hopefully he'll get there. But we're not sure of that. We're not sure. The question marks about Josie Altador's injuries is too much right now. And with the youngsters coming through for the United States in regards to the striker position, I you got to look at other options. Josie Altador, if we're talking about historically looking at stats – the goals he scored for the United States, which isn't a lot compared to the number of games he's actually played as a striker. He's the greatest striker the United States have, has ever had, which is very sad to think about, but he is. And now he's not healthy. Like, you might love Josie Altador. I have no personal hatred toes towards Josie Altador. But you cannot go a full season with Sunderland, score one goal, and still get called up to your national team. That's why I'm excited where the United States is right now as opposed to they were where they were at that time because Josie Altador got hurt against Ghana in the first game of the 2014 World Cup and then Aaron Johansson has to try and play Josie Altador's position and that didn't work. The U.S. had no depth at striker and now the U.S. has depth at striker so we can afford to leave a legend in Josie Altador back in the States while the United States goes to Qatar. Daryl DK's in form. He's a better striker right now than Altador, and he's the same physical presence as Altador, and he's younger, which is even better. Now, I, I know there's other strikers that could be throwing out there with Altador, but I think Jayasi Zardes and Josh Sargent are pretty much locks to go to Qatar because Jayasi Zardes, 
much like Aaron Long and Sebastian Legette are three of uh, Greg Berhalter's favorite players that seem to play regardless of how good they're doing. But Jaiusi Zardes has been playing very, very well in the MLS for Columbus Crew as they just won the MLS Cup final this past year, beating Seattle for that. But I think Jaiusi Zardes and Josh Sargent, who's probably the most informed striker the United States has right now, him and DK could battle it out for the most informed striker. But those two are locks, in my opinion. I think it's just a matter of if Burhalter can trust Josie Altidore. And there's even a chance they don't bring three strikers. I just think with the U.S.'s track record and bringing up players and even looking at Burhalter's call-ups in recent years, or recent years, in the years he's been the manager, he likes to bring three strikers into the fray, usually. And I think DK could be that next one that is all. I, I just think he's a really... Now, there's other strikers, like I said, that could be... In the mix, I guess, for a plane trip to Qatar, you obviously got uh, Io Akinola, who took a Canadian call-up recently. Nico Giacchini, Giochini from Kansas City, playing over in Italy, I believe. And then Jesus Ferreira, who played very well in the last game the United States played, scored two goals in that game. And then Matthew Hoppy, who has been linked with a few moves. I saw it today. He was linked with a move to Liverpool. He is going to be in there as well. But we need to see how he does. He could be just a little flash in the pan thing like Bobby Wood was for that tiny bit. No one even knows what Bobby Wood's doing nowadays. And I think, I just think DK is the better striker than the other ones available right now. And I think Zardes, regardless of what he does, will go. And Josh Sargent has been hyped up as this next great American striker for years now. And everybody out there that is trying to make lineups for this team in the World Cup are going to list Josh Sargent there because, one, he's playing in Europe, two, he's very young, three, he's in form, and four, he's been talked about with the United States men's national team for freaking years now. And we're looking at, like, other positions that could be contested, I guess, or not really contested, I guess. I guess center back is one where you could look at and go, wow, there's a lot of players we could probably look at here. Got Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Matt Miazga, Chris Richards, Mark McKenzie, Miles Robinson, Eric Palmer-Brown, who I forgot that I didn't know the U.S. even remembered existed. Used to play for Sporting Kansas City and then went to Manchester City and then I haven't seen or heard of from him in a while. But he's got called him in the recent squad. Now, obviously, if you heard that and said, Logie didn't mention John Brooks, John Brooks is the best center back the United States have. So I'm not going to mention him and players that might miss the plane. John Brooks is going to Qatar regardless of what he does. I mean, I, mean, I guess if he stays healthy because that's one thing that's hurt him. But the difference between him and Josie Altidore, John Brooks is clear as the best center back for the United States. Josie Altidore is in the running as the third best striker for the United States. So that's where the the difference is on their level for how confident I am they're going to Qatar. Yes, they both battle injuries, but one is a thousand times more important than the other one. And Aaron Long is one of those players, like I said, with Jaiusi Zardes and Sebastian Legette earlier, that regardless of how good his form is at the time, will probably be going to Qatar because of his standing relationship with Greg Burhalter. He was the first captain under Burhalter. He's been the captain numerous times under Burhalter. He will be going, and then it's just a battle of, do we want to go with Chris Richards, Mark McKenzie? I think Chris Richards should go, especially since how well he's been playing for Hoffenheim. Started the past six of seven games or something like that, and one of those games, the only reason he didn't start because they were playing Bayern Munich, so he couldn't play. And then Matt Miazga, Berhalter seems to really like him. And then Walker Zimmerman I feel kind of bad for because he just won the MLS Defender of the Year. But I don't think Berhalter rates him as highly as Aaron Long or Matt Miazga, the two people he's probably competing directly with for spots. If you go back to the Gold Cup in 2019, Aaron Long was consistently the starter at center back and he rotated Miazga and Zimmerman. John Brook was out injured. Those were the two that rotated in there. Tyler Adams was out of the tournament as well because he got hurt. But he was going to play him at right back. That's not happening anymore because obviously Serginio Dest and Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, those guys will keep him from playing. And that he's by far the best holding midfielder the United States has. That'll keep him at center mid. But I put I put Chris Richards back in the team. I had Mark McKenzie there first in the last one I did because I was scared Chris Richards wasn't going to get any playing time over in Germany. Mark McKenzie just was in the running for MLS Defender of the Year at Philadelphia, went to Genk. So I was 
I went with that, but Chris Richards, and he's left-footed, which was another thing there. And now I went with Chris Richards because I just I I used my brain here for a little bit. But everything else, like right back, Sergino Dest, Reggie Cannon, I Ryan Reynolds will rotate in there as well with Reggie Cannon for the backup spot. I put Tim Ream again behind Anthony Robinson at left back because of his experience, and Burhalter really likes him as well. And he's not going to play a single minute or a single second of guitar, but his experience and leadership will be very big for the United States because this is a very young team. They're going to need players like Tim Ream to be there and not play a minute. Like, Mix Diskarud didn't play a single minute at the 2014 World Cup, which was disappointing because he wore the number 10 jersey, landed Donovan, was stuck at home. So that was kind of disappointing from that. Uh, I've talked about Jackson Ewell quite a bit, the San Jose Earthquakes number six. He just got named captain for the Olympic qualifying team. I ended up going with Owen Atasoy. I don't know if I said his name right from Wolverhampton because Burhalter, he has players he values where if you weren't the man, if he wasn't the manager, these players might not get as much looks in, looks in as they do right now. But Owen, that's what I'm going to call him, because I need to practice saying his last name a little bit more. He's versatile. He's played defensive mid. He's played center back. He's even deployed at attacking mid this year for Wolves. I think that versatility will really help him in that regard. Because if you look at Burhalter's favorite players on the team, Tyler, Tyler Adams, center defensive mid, right back. He's rotated at those quite a bit. Owen, he can play right back or center back. He can play defensive mid. He can even play timber ten. Sebastian Legette has played every position in either midfield or attack. It's what he really likes. Pulisic, who's going to go regardless, but can play in the wing or in the midfield. Same with uh, Giovanni Reina. Same with Jonas Musa. Like all these players can play multiple positions. Even Tim Ream, Serginho Dest can play right back and left back. Tim Ream can deploy at center back. Like all these players can play multiple positions. And that's what it seems Greg Berhalter seems to like, which is why I went with Owen over the U23 captain and Jackson Ewell because it's just kind of like Will Trapp again. I'm not saying he's Will Trapp. That's a little mean to Jackson. But Will Trapp was the captain for a little bit. He was captain for Columbus Crew. He was captain for the U.S. for a little bit. And yeah. But for this, speaking of captain, I did move the captaincy off Pulisic. I think the captaincy, if I'm being honest is between Zach Steffen and Weston McKinney. I think that's who the captain's going for. If you look at the biggest game Burhalter has coached in his time in the U.S., it was the 2019 Gold Cup. And we want to look in at that. Weston McKinney was the captain in that game against Mexico. Now, Zach Steffen, I think he's captained the most times out of the players on this squad. I think Aaron Long, I think him and Aaron Long are either equal or one's got one more or something. I think Zach Steffen and McKinney are competing for that. For this, I went with Weston McKinney because of his standing at Juventus, the leadership he's had coming through the youth system. He's been a captain at underage level before. Juventus are reportedly wanting to build around him among other young players at the club. That will help him out. I don't know if I would love to see Pulisic as the captain. For years, we thought Pulisic would be the captain. Doesn't necessarily look like that anymore. I think it's between either McKinney or Zach Steffen, I think Pulisic and Tyler Adams and Aaron Long, John Brooks, they'll all be in the mention for that. But I think it's between, if we're looking at this, like, narrowed in with laser focus, I think it's between McKenney and Zach Steffen. I think I'd, I'd be fine with either one of them being captain. I love every single player on this team. And let's just run through the squad real quick because I don't think I did that yet. So, for the goalkeeper position, said Zach Steffen, Sean Johnson, Ethan Horvath, I mean, they're gonna. It's it's just a toss up for whoever backs up Zach Steffen. Horvath probably needs to get new new game time or somewhere away from Club Bruce because he hasn't played a lot in the recent times. Matt Turner's nipping at his heels for that last spot. I think Sean Johnson's pretty should feel pretty confident going to Qatar with his standing with Burhalter as well, and he plays quite a bit in the MLS for NYCFC. Right back again, Sergio Dest, Reggie Cannon. I think Brian Reynolds and Reggie Cannon will be battling it out for the backup spot there. And even might even start a few games if Serginho Des plays at left back some points in this tournament. Center backs, John Brooks, Aaron Long, Matt Miazga, and Chris Richards. That's a solid center back group right there. Left back, Anthony Robinson, Tim Ream. Centered defensive midfield because Gray Burhalter likes to deploy a 4-3-3 formation. Like we talked about last time, this allows Pulisic to drift into that other those 
open areas in the middle of the field, not necessarily as an out-and-out number 10, but in that left side of the field where he can get on the ball a lot more. Tyler Adams can slot over and cover for him defensively, and McKinney can like make his runs up and down the field, be that box-to-box guy. So if you're looking at this, try to envision this with me. So you got the three in midfield. Tyler Adams the deep one. McKinney on the right, Pulisic on the left. McKinney's running up and down the field, box-to-box. Literally, it just means goal-box-to-goal-box. Box. Defending and attacking. Pulisic's attacking, kind of roaming. He's free-roaming a little bit. And then Adams is just kind of running horizontally across the midfield. So he can cover for either one, but he's mostly going to be staying on that left side, one would assume, for that. But you got Tyler Adams and Owen playing as the two number sixes in this. Central midfield, again, Burhalter really likes Pulisic as a number as a number eight in his team. And here's what he said. We've said this last time we made this type of thing, but he said, I think Pulisic's best role is when he has the freedom to be flexible because we know he can beat players wide. But we also know he can get in the final passes in the middle. What I can tell you is that he's highly un- it's highly unlikely that we're going to put him in a position where he's only asked to do one thing because that doesn't match his skill set. He's a game changer. You need to put him in the position to be able to make change in the game in a number of areas. I think the areas he's going to be effective will change the game, change from a game-to-game basis based on the opponent. You cannot make as many plays from the left wing as you can from the central, the mid, center midfield spot. You're roaming around a little bit more in center midfield as opposed to the left midfield spot because you're deployed as a left winger. Center midfielder, you can go anywhere in the center, which is a lot more area to cover, a lot more ground to cover than left wing, and you can still drift out wide if need be. So he's going to play as a number eight in this system. So you got Pulisic, McKenney, Brendan Aronson will back up Pulisic as that number 10 returned into number eight. He was playing number 10 a lot with Philadelphia. He'll be in that attacking role there. And Sebastian Legette, who is more of an attacker, is versatile enough to deploy behind Weston McKinney and be that box-to-box midfielder or even just attacking. He can do anything for Greg Berhalter and has shown he can do that under Greg Berhalter. And a lot of people really like him for that. And Berhalter obviously really likes him. So he'll Sebastian Legette will back up McKinney there. On the wings, we have Giovanni Reyna, Jonas Musa, and then Timothy Weah, who is in a really good vein of form right now for Lille, which is great to see. Because one of the reasons I left him off of the last team is because he struggled for form a little bit. And you saw when he got substituted off against the, in the U.S.'s last game, you saw him and Burhalter embracing. It was cool because he wants Timothy Weah to succeed as what we thought he would when he first broke into the United States men's national team. Now, I think he'll be more of a backup player, but he should still go because he can play on the right wing, can play on the left wing, and can even play as a striker. So that's going to be very, very nice for the United States with that. Musa will play on the right wing as a starter. Reyna will play on the left wing. Musa's a right winger for Valencia. Uh, Reyna kind of operates as a right winger or left winger, sometimes as a number 10 or 8. But for this squad, because of Pulisic playing in the middle, Reyna will be deployed on the on the left. Those two, Musa and Reyna, are not goal scorers from the wings. They're going to be creating from the wings, which will be very good to see. So whoever's a striker, who I think will probably be the starter, is Jayassi Zardes. But again, we talked about the striker, Zardes, Sargent, and Daryl DK. I think will and should be the starters for the World Cup in 2022. So if you look at the starting lineup again, Stefan, Dest, Long, Brooks, Robinson, Adams, McKinney, Pulisic in midfield, Musa on the right, Rain on the left, Sargent, or I mean, Zardes as the number nine, as the main striker. So that's all I've got for you today. I wanted to keep the show somewhat shorter than usual, so it's not a long one, but I want to talk about the United States thing for a little bit because it's exciting. I love, I'm love. i always getting excited about the U.S.'s future, especially after watching them growing up, seeing the players that they had to put up with for all this time, all the strikers they had to put up with, the defenders that we talked about last show, and now there's a really bright future where we're taking these highly touted prospects to our national team and keeping them away from the normal big boys in the international soccer game. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thank you for Trubisky for signing for the Buffalo Bills. I sur- I will certainly enjoy that. Mock Draft 4.0 will be released on Monday, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Very excited to release that. There will be trades in this one like I was planning to do in Mock Draft 3.0 but didn't actually do it. There will be guaranteed trades in this one, so look out for that. That's all I've got for you today. 
I hope you enjoyed the show, and I will see you guys on Monday. Peace.